What's up, everybody? This is the Growing Up Italian Podcast. We got a special episode today. I got a lot of paisans with me, and I mean a lot. Let's I have, have every, everybody the introduce themselves. <laughs> so I got the president himself of Our Lady of Snow Society in Brooklyn, Vincent Raymond. How are you, Vinny? I'm good, Sabi. How are you? I'm good. I also got Kevin D'Angelo. How's it going? Good to be here. My sister, my co-host, I should have introduced her before. But What's up, everybody? It. It's all good. I got Nick LaVeya here, too. How are you, Nick? Good. How are you? And I got Ralphie Boombots himself. <laughs> How's it going, everyone? All right, so we just finished up a feast meeting here, and uh, we thought what a good like opportunity to talk a little bit of our Madonna, right? Shared our traditions with all of our Italian followers that uh, listen to our weekly podcast. And uh, today actually is uh, August 5th, and it's our Saints holiday. And this has been a tradition that's been going on for thousands of years in Italy. It's been going on for 130 years in Brooklyn, New York. The tradition basically was brought here 130 years ago by Italian immigrants that thought they would never be able to like follow their traditions so they like form their own society so I got some of these OG American guys that are like grandfathered in this Brooklyn tradition guys like Vinny guys like Kev guys like Nick and have you ever seen the society in in uh, Sansa, have you ever seen August 5th there? I've never been there. My grandfather was there once. Oh, nope, yeah. never was there for a feast. Oh, oh, I haven't been there yet. So, yeah, it's really a great opportunity to, like, tell you guys a little bit about August 5th there. And I've seen August 5th here, but only, like, three times. So, the way the society started in Italy was, basically, there was this rich guy that kept dreaming about a Madonna. So he went to Rome, from what I heard, like the story I heard. He went to Rome and he told like a big priest, and he's like, I keep dreaming of this saint, and I don't know what this dream means. And the Pope was like, what it means is that you gotta build a church wherever you see snow. So somehow this guy ends up on Chitavato, which is the tallest mountain in the whole region. And he found a patch of snow that was like exactly like that blueprint of a church. Have you heard the story, Vinny? Or I've heard a different iteration. Yeah, the, the way I heard it was a little different. So tell me, tell me, because I, I mean, the way that's the story I've heard. So that's the story I like, you know. To way to me, there was, and you guys could correct me and yell at me. There's two different stories kind of here. There's the, the legend of Our Lady of Snow, which is similar to what you said, but the, the church was built on Palpatine Hill in Rome. Okay. I think that's uh, Maria Maggiore is the church. Santa Maria Maggiore. Right. And then in, they built a church there and they had the saint there. Hundreds of years later, when Catholics were being pushed out of Rome, uh-huh. uh, people took the saint from the church and said, we got to hide her. And no one knew where they hide her. 
fast forward a little time. I can't I wish Joe San Pietro was there. He could tell the time. I believe it was uh, like 1320, 1340, yeah. somewhere A.D. In Cerevato, uh, what, what you were speaking of, um, shepherds were walking the sheep, and they noticed behavior of the sheep uh, genuflecting in front of the grotto. This is definitely true. Yeah. That's definitely true. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And then that's when they opened up the grotto and found the saint from what I heard would be Maria Maggiore that was moved down so no one could take it and destroy it and then became, you know, the, the fight between the two towns, which I know you could probably speak of better yeah. than me. Well, this is the whole thing that, like, I, I get a little confused about is that, you know, in Sansa, the actual, in Italy, in Sansa, you have the saint we carry up the mountain July 26th, right? And then we leave her up there for nine days and bring her back down August 5th. So this is like a five-hour walk through like a hiking trail. It's like forest. Forest. It's like, I think it's like seven miles, yeah. eight miles. Crazy. They literally leave at four in the morning. And, and there's three stops. There's three stops. And, you know, I've done this, and it's very, like, it's, it's hard. It beats up your body. Like, and if you drink water while you're walking, you just can't walk anymore. Your legs lock. I can't, I can't explain it, but... It's really hardcore. There's like eight guys under the scene at one time. And and these guys are called Marunar. Yeah, these, these guys are just guys that carry the scene down. You know, guys like us that follow traditions, you know? Same thing here. But um, what uh, I heard too was like, I, I, the, the church on, on the Chiravato, that church has been there since 400 AD. Like there's a, it's like written in the, it's engraved in that barricade, 432 AD. Wow. How crazy is that? Like that's, that's like five times older than our country when you think of it. Yeah, we have a very short history compared to European history, so. So, the sto- I definitely heard the story about what happened was the shepherd lost a sheep. That's what I was going to oh, say. Okay. And he was looking for the and sheep and the sheep was bowed down to Our Lady of Snow, which is And he is went in and the statue was there. Which the saint, and that saint was definitely hidden from what you said. Like it's a hundred, it's a hundred percent facts. Okay. So, I've always thought, from what I, from the stories I've heard, that they were always doing this thing, and then they happened to find a saint there later. But I could be wrong. The story, the story I had heard from my grandfather, from Joe actually, and my grandfather, um, that in, I forget what year it was. It might have been in the the three hundred. A.D., there was St. Mary Major in Rome, and what happened was they were afraid of the persecution by the Romans, so, and what, what it had started, I, I should actually go before that, the, the talk about the dream is that there was a rich couple that didn't have any children, yeah, and right. they had prayed for a sign of something to do with their money, because they didn't know what to do with it, they wanted to do something holy, they wanted to do something righteous. And they said that one night they both had the same dream, that the Blessed Mother came to them in a dream and said, I'm going to make it snow in one spot where I want the church to be built in in honor. So what they did, they went to the top of the Esquiline Hills in Rome on August 5th, one of the hottest days of the year. And it snowed in one spot, which was like the outline Of of a church, and that's where they built the church. Then the story goes that during the persecution of the Christians, they wanted to hide the statue. It disappeared. Nobody knew where it went. 
many years later, it was found in Sansa with the story with the sheep, and then in the whole thing as to who the who the statue belongs to. Yeah. So Sansa has like beef with this other town, Pegina, and basically what what happened is that saint that's in the cave is like three miles from Pegina, and then so it's like, geographically, it's on it's their on, it's on their territory. It's on their territory. So and then from Sansa, it's like thirty miles. It's like completely on the other side. So the way they like fought for the saint years ago is that they uh, they basically said. You ring your bells at this time, and then you ring your bells at this time. And wherever we hear the bells from, that's who the statue is going to belong to. So geographically, Piagina should have won. But True. they heard the bells in Sansa, so Amarona is ours. Which... Yeah, it's just crazy, because you hear all the craziest stories. Like, they, there have been times where they say why. If you look now, it was always in a grotta, but... If you look at it, it almost looks like the the um, like when you walk in, there's two rocks, but it makes it hard to go in. And the reason it's like that was because there was somebody that tried to pull her out, and the rock came caving in, so that you you cannot remove the statue from the grotta. You, the it'll come collapsing. Yeah, so I had heard that also. The, yeah. the statue belongs to Isanzis. You can't take it out from there. It's very consistent. Yeah, the, the the story you told about that. That's yeah, I the persecution. That was what I was missing. Right. That's what I've heard. The tradition being, as as the American, you know, that doesn't have the ties that they have. What What's crazy though is just like the amount of stories that there is tied into the lady snow here. So like, there was this there was this older man, and this had to be in like the early '80s. He basically dedicated his. He, he dedicated his life to the to the saint, to Maron de Grot, and basically he, him and um he had a mentally ill son were living in the mountain where that saint is, and you know they would go days and days without food, and he would send his son like to go get food and stuff, and he would come back with a loaf of bread in the middle of the mountains, and they're like. And he would ask his son, where did, you, where did you get this bread from? He's like, this beautiful lady gave it to me. Well, I, I have a story, a cousin of mine, uh, Pappy and Cooley, when he was a child, and he was old enough to remember this, he started choking. And no one knew how to save him. And I think it was his mother or grandmother put her hand on his chest and just started saying the prayer of Valley Snow, and he spit up whatever he was choking on. And he, to this day, says... No lies, that was the truth. And a couple of years ago, maybe 12 or 13 years ago, there was a thunderbolt that was just going to get to this. So there was, there was 12 people in the grotta, which we'll get into it, but 12 people and a thunderbolt went through and literally bounced off of what she rests on, and it literally knocked out all 12 people. And I remember we were driving down that day and it was like raining really bad and we got a flat tire. So we were pulled over and we just saw like ambulances going up towards the mountain and we're like, what happened? And there was 12 people in there and all 12 survived, but all were unconscious for however long, all survived with no... That's crazy because no, one, one kid, like you were saying, one kid was like completely... 
they thought he was like his heart rate stopped every day and his dad this is what the story is the dad was like to going to say like how could you do this to me like screaming in in the cave like how could you do this to me how could you betray me and then like all of a sudden the kid just woke up that's the story like they were giving him mouth to mouth and then he, he just woke up well, my final story is last year. Think about last year. Then this made my wife join. Uh, you know, she's not Sons AC, but she's my wife, so she can join. Um, she, I think, wish I told her all these stories, and you know, she was skeptical, as anybody would be hearing this. And last year, remember, we had rain in the forecast. Vinny. Yeah. We actually were talking about shortening the parade. You know, like well, the weather, and it was cloudy all morning, and we had everything go wrong. We had a fire in one of the fireplaces. The guy who had a float was locked up. He had an emergency. We, we had to break the float to come here, you know. And sure That's enough, crazy. and sure enough, the second we go to take the Blessed Mother out of the hall here in Brooklyn, the clouds, like, and my wife was outside, said, like a minute before you guys started, the clouds disappeared, and as she came out, the sun started shining. And I, I believe that stuff. It's, 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 it's hard not to when you experience it. It's like in, uh, in Sansa, too, one time, I'll, I'll never forget... One one summer, it actually was snowing on, on August fifth. I remember that it was snowing. That's crazy. Like the people, mon- and people. That is crazy. When you tell people, they don't believe you. But it's not like it was snowing like you know three inches. It just started. It started like flurries. My there's a story in my family. So my mom is from Sassano and my dad is from Sansa. But my mom and her family, when they moved to Brooklyn, they bought the house right next door to the Society of Our Lady of the Snow. So my mom grew up very devoted to the Maronna, and all of a sudden she meets the Sanzes and they get married. My mom's now the president of the Women's Auxiliary, but. So my mom's whole family, after she married my dad, they went to Sansa that summer. So my mom's one of eight. It was six girls and two boys in Sansa that year. So my mom was like, you guys have to come. They have this awesome tradition that they walk down the mountain, whatever, whatever. So my mom's brothers and sisters did it. And her youngest sister and one of her brothers got lost on the walk down. So they said that... They couldn't find their way, they were lost. They were like, we were literally in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knew where we were going. We, it had to be like 10 or 12 of us. And we couldn't find our way. Our flashlight went out and they were lost. They're like, nobody had food, nobody had water. And she's like, we literally, just as we're about to start panicking, she goes, we find two little boys. She was like, these two young Sanzez kids and they basically got them back onto the road and said, this is the stop, wait here. Amarona is gonna arrive in like a half hour. We're gonna continue walking down, but you guys stay here. So before that they parted from them, they said to them, who are you guys? What are your names? So they gave them these names and they're like, okay. So they waited there, the Marona gets there, they get back to Sansa, and they're telling Nonna from Sansa the story. And they're like, we met these two young boys and these were their names. And my non, my grandmother goes, lived in Sansa her whole life. My grandma goes, I've never heard of those names. Who are those kids? Nobody knew who they were. My grandma asked everybody from Sansa. Nobody knew who they were. And my family's convinced that they, that they were Amarona sent angels to help them find their way. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. I want to talk a little bit about this, like the tradition here. Like, so, 
basically decided we start in 1888, right, Ben? Right. So we're here 130 years. What's it like nowadays here in the society? I mean, I know years ago it was like 500 members. Yeah, we've, we've dwindled over the years. I mean, just from the old timers passing on and, you know, a lot of the younger generation, they don't feel the same way as the older generation. We try. I mean, you look around this table, we got younger guys that have joined. Um, define younger. Define younger? <laughs> younger younger than me. How's that? <laughs> I'm the oldest guy at this table, so younger than me. Um, yeah, we've, we've dwindled from our heyday. Probably from the 40s to the 60s, we had... Was that the golden era? Of the I, I would say it was, yeah. We had more, more things going on here. We had more events. We had more members. We had more help from the 40s to the 60s, probably between 500 and 600 members. So now you have a, a, a dinner dance with 500 members bringing their spouses. You got 1,000 people in a room. And we, were, we are the oldest mutual aid society in New York State. We get an award every year. Some politician wants to look good, so they bring us an award saying, you know, you're the oldest mutual aid society in New York State. Um, what exactly is a mutual aid society? Explain. Mutual aid is, is how we started. We, uh, in 1888, basically when the immigrants came here, Italian immigrants came here, they came here with nothing. You know, you get off the boat, you don't know where you are, you don't know what you're doing, you have no family, you have no friends. So what, what they did was everybody from the same town banded together and said, listen, we don't have anybody, we got to help each other. They organized the society in tradition, like in Sansa. They said, if we're going to do something, we're going to do something that ties us to our home. And that's what they did. But the idea behind mutual aid being New York State, it's, it's kind of like health coverage before there was health coverage. Every year we would appoint a society like one doctor. Of founding, one of the founding members was a doctor. Yeah. We had doctors, lawyers. We still do, but not as many as we used to. Obviously, if but now people could also go to a hospital nowadays. Yeah, see, we've we've gone. We, we're in a, a perfect example of the American dream. They came here with nothing, worked their way up the the ladder, and we don't need a society doctor anymore. Everybody has health coverage. Everybody has a good job. Everybody has, you know, the benefits that we didn't have when our forefathers came here. We now have that. You know, we've moved up the ladder in American society. But we would appoint. A society doctor. Now, if you as a member got sick, you'd call the president. The president would call the doctor. The doctor would come over, visit you. If you're a member in good standing, you don't pay for the doctor visit. You don't pay for the medication. Whatever it is, the society handled it. So how, if how you needed help because you're out of work, because you're sick, we take care of you. Wow, that's crazy. We helped you buy a house. The society would buy members' houses and then hold the mortgage, and you pay them back. And that goes to something we talk about every year, and it's, it's obviously since then... Here we are, 2018. Numbers have dwindled. We're a handful mostly now. And, but there's plenty of sons AC around. They've all just left Brooklyn. They left New York. They got jobs. They moved around the country. And it just proves that the society did the job it set out to do and helped its own people exactly, exactly. get to fulfill their American dream. No, absolutely. And yeah, we, you moved up the ladder and, you know... By moving up the ladder, okay, you don't live in Brooklyn anymore. Maybe you moved out to Long Island. Maybe you moved out to California. Who knows? Wherever. What about us still in California? They're what all about over. Us still in Brooklyn and Queens? We didn't move up the ladder? Well, you know, Brooklyn, <laughs> Queens, you know. You know well, well, something that's always been interesting to me is that as, as the Sanzezi population from this neighborhood is, 
you know, succeeded and moved up the ladder and, and moved across the country, it's kind of changed the definition of what the society means. It, it has, yeah. yeah. So when it started, it was more of this mutual aid society, this, this sort of, like, welfare kind of um, organization. Uh, and now it's it feels way more of a religious culture. and a social and a cultural organization. Right, it always had the religious background, but now that's more of the main attraction to it that it's you know hey we come here for the blessed mother and that's why we're here right whereas yeah. before it was more of a social thing where hey you know we all meet hey how's your family doing everybody okay that's why when we do our meetings there's one whole section on good and welfare we make sure that all our members are okay does anybody know of anybody that's sick we got to take care of them whatever we got to do and, yeah just one other thing that sort of seems to have transformed too is that like when it first started they were kind of preserving the tradition from Italy and now they're sort of a, a kind of unique Italian-American Brooklyn tradition that now we're also starting to like uphold. Right, after 130 years we've evolved into our own entity where it wasn't just like when it started it was kind of like a, a, a continuation of what was going on in Sansa. Now it's like we're our own thing with ties to Italy. You know what's crazy is back in the day when you used to leave like those European, when you used to leave Europe and come to America, people let go of their traditions, but they brought it back here because they knew they would never probably go back to Italy. Uh, my grandfather is a great case of that. When he left Italy, he was very unhappy with the conditions over there. You know, obviously in the South, it was poor. You know, there was fascism. You know, like it was just, he just wanted out. And he left, and he came here, and, and, and my grandfather was the type, he's, he always told us, we're American now. Nick, what, what year did your grandfather come here? Oh, geez, I don't know. I don't know. I forget off the top of my head. He was born in 1913. I want to say he was a teenager, so probably 30s, 20s, 30s. 30s, 40s. And when he came here, his thing was, we are American now. That being said, as much as he embraced the American culture, we were the household where everybody spoke English. There was no real Italian spoken, which contradicts a lot of members of the society where Italian was the first language in the household. However, when August the 5th rolled around, we were together. We were celebrating, and he still celebrated the heritage while saying we are, are Americans now. No, and that's, you hear that a lot. Yeah, that, that was pretty common. That, and you know, the thing about the language you say, one of the reasons a lot, I mean, at least for my family and a lot that I've spoken to, the language, they carried on the language for the most part, but then when World War II came around, they kind of stopped because Italy was considered the enemy. the enemy, and you don't want to speak the enemy's language. I mean, you know, for an example, when that's with the a, Germans... That's a major point, but I never thought of that. They changed, they changed a lot of things. Like, you couldn't say uh, a Frankfurter with sauerkraut. That's where the term hot dog came from, because you wouldn't say Frank Frankfurter. It was too German. You wouldn't say sauerkraut. They called it victory cabbage. They came up with different names. It victory was the same cabbage. thing. Well, they, had a, they didn't want to say German names because Germany was the enemy. It was the same thing with the Italians. They didn't want to say Italian names. My parents never learned to speak Italian because they were born in the early 40s, mid-40s, right around the wartime. My grandparents spoke it. My parents never learned a word because it was the enemy's language. You didn't say it. Quick point, Vin. I want to get to how your last name got changed. <laughs> no, because I, we, I have there's followers that listen that have literally told us the same exact story. What happened to your family? It happens a lot. It happened to a lot. You know, they had it in The Godfather where they changed the last name to the name of the town that they came from. It was very typical to happen at Ellis Island. In my case, it happened when my grandfather. Now, my mother's side is Sanzes. 
My father's side is from Bari. The whole family is Bari's. And obviously that's where my name comes from. When my grandfather came here, he was the uh, second. He had an older brother and him and then five younger sisters. When he went to school, now their last name was Raimondi, R-A-I-M-O-N-D-I. And my last name is Raymond. When they went to school, his older brother, Pasquale, was Pasquale Raimondi. When my grandfather went to school, the story I was told is that they changed it. He was born Vito Raimondi. Is that what it said on the... His birth certificate says Vito Raimondi. Oh, wow. When he went to school, his school records, everything after his birth certificate says William Raymond. I always understood, I mean, kind of understood where you get Raymond from Raimondi. Where do you get William from Vito? I have no idea. Yeah, that's a curveball. <laughs> but he was, everybody knew him as Willie Raymond. And when he went into the Army in World War II, they had all this paperwork. They're looking at a birth certificate and school records when they're trying to get him into the Army. And they're going, wait a second, we got something that says Vito Raimondi and something that says William Raymond. Who the hell are you? His answer to me was, I said, well, why did you tell them William Raymond? He said, because everything I had was William Raymond except the birth certificate. So it was just easier to go with William Raymond. There's a lot of stories like that also also when people came through Ellis Island. Yeah, the language barrier, they said your last name, what's your last name? And they just spelt it as, so my mom's made a name. So my, both my parents, uh, my dad, his grandparents all from, my dad is full Sanzesi. My mom, her father is Sanzesi and her mother is Polish, Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, however, my mom's maiden name in America is Desperito. Despirito? Despirito, yeah. Because that's so what they heard. Like they spell it differently. Oh, okay. They heard it. They spelt it out as the people at Ellis Island heard right. American. Or in the case of a baby was born and it was a midwife. Yeah. That tra- that, tra- that, that had a lot of problems. My wife's maiden name is Marchiella, and you know that's her last name. But if we went back to her town in Italy, and her maiden name is actually Marchisella, it got changed along the lines. And the final thought I think is, you know how many people say, where are you from in Italy? And they don't really know their heritage. They say Napoli. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I said. How many guys people, have the last name Napoli? They, yeah, but no, not even <laughs> that. A lot of people say they're from Napoli, but they took the boat from Napoli. Right. If they dug down, they, they just heard Napoli from... because they're not where you're from. Napoli. They didn't understand. They said, well, Napoli, we came from, from Naples. They might have been from Sanza. They might have been from sure. Tajano, mm-hmm. another town. They just said Napoli because that's where they took the boat from. And everybody says they're Napolitan, but they're probably not. Wow. Well, you know it's exactly what, true. That's you know, like you know what happens is that even me when sometimes be like, oh, "Where are you from, Italy?" and I say, "Oh, I'm from Sanza," and then I go, "Okay, no, I'm from Campania." They still give me. They still look. don't know. I'm from Salerno. Okay, yeah. I'm two hours from Naples. That's my go-to. You know Whenever I mean? someone asks me, yeah. I'll just say Salerno. Oh, like you're from Salerno? I'm like, well, no, my family's from a town in the read, like, yeah. but it's and just that, easier to say that Salerno. Providence is huge. Yeah, because it, it's way too big for like what it's like we were explained on there, you know. Yeah. So, but back to uh, a lady of snow. Uh, it's just amazing how, after 130 years, the tradition's still going on here. I mean, I know my guy Ralph's a new member, bringing in some fresh meat. Yeah, I mean, we August 5th. It's funny, August 5th, everybody, this hall is packed out so that's when we do most of our recruiting because most of the people that come to august 5th aren't members so now on august 5th the presidents literally have the registration like the i carry him with me your mother carries him with me so this way somebody says i want to be a member literally and not even 
my mom goes up to people, are you a member? Are you a member? And just gives out papers all day. Yeah. Last August 5th, we got 13 new members on from the women. I don't know how many you guys we got. got we got, uh, it was either three or four, but you guys had thir- You guys had us beat yeah, by a mile. We had a you got a crazy lot of women. One thing, one thing yeah. I do want to say about the society that I'm very proud of is that we didn't sell out. And I want to say any names about other societies, but <laughs> in, in this particular area, bang, bang. We rented out to a lawyer's office because, you know, just to survive, keep our head above ground. Yeah, because you need amazing. that income. Exactly. You need the income to pay the bills. He's a fellow Italian. Time. Fellow Italian guy. <laughs> and we still have our hall upstairs. We have our little card room in the back. I don't know if that's allowed to even talk about. Vinny's giving me a dirty look right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, what are you, you talking about? There's nothing just, back there. He just tightened his fist It's storage. <laughs> it's storage. There's nothing back there. But it's just... It's amazing that we still are getting members. Another thing I want to say about August 5th that I noticed when I came like three years ago is that there's people that I've never seen that show up on August 5th. There's someone that actually DM'd our page, Growing Up Italian. It was like, wow, you guys are from Sansa? I, I am too, and I'm related to the Rubinos. Did she know about August 5th or no? Because there was one lady she that... She says she comes August 5th. Yeah. There was another lady that she DM'd us. I've never heard the name. I She didn't look familiar at all. Where I literally invited her. I said, be here August 5th. Ask for me. I want to walk the parade with you. There's nothing I love more than meeting someone whose son says that either they know about August 5th or yeah. not. I think it's important that we all stick together. Because Gia a couple of years ago. Remember yeah, that? remember that? That was, that was an incredible... Incredible experience. So your father and I, we, we did that. We were traveling back and forth to Jersey to meet her, and it was just you and my dad, amazing. The, I don't even know what what. That's some duo, man. You and my dad. Uh, basically, what what happened was the our society connected two long lost sisters. Yeah. Right. It was uh, sixty-two years they hadn't seen each other. So I mean, back in the day. When you had big families and you couldn't afford to keep your kids, they literally gave their kids away. Like that was that was the story. The well, story was that they had, I think the woman had um, six kids, six or seven kids, something like that, and she couldn't afford to take care of them. And the two youngest were a boy and a girl, Gia. Well, I can't remember what her her, her her brother passed away. Her brother her brother was killed here in America. Yeah. Um, that's later in the story, but. They, the mother couldn't afford to keep them, feed them, clothe them. She gave them to the Catholic Church, hoping that they Rome, would find, right? in Rome, but, hoping that they would find them a good home. Yeah, and that's what, that's what they did do. The, the church was telling them that we're going to find them a wealthy family in America and your kid's going to be set. And, and it, it worked them. out. And it what happened was the church would sell them. Well, you, you say sell. I don't know. I'm assuming there was donation. some sort of a, they would get a donation. donation. Yeah, I'm assuming money was changed hands. But you know there's no record of that. But I'm sure money changed hands. Um, Gia spoke of her American family uh, that when she came here, and it can get you choked up because it's, it's so... It's such a great story. She came here not speaking a word of English. Her and her brother didn't speak a word of English. And the family that she, came she when went to. She was to, like seven years old. She was right? nine. Her brother her was brother six. Was yeah. Oh, yeah. Her brother was six. She was nine. Um, the mother had given her a little medallion of Amarone, of Our Lady of the Snow, and said she'll always watch over you, the whole bit. Um, she came to America and she got placed with the family. And she said, it was amazing. I went from being poor with my mother to this new family that I don't even understand what they're saying because she didn't speak any English at all. 
and she had her own room. Her brother had her own room. They had a piano. She took piano lessons, learned how to play piano. She went but to she, school. She got. She was blessed that she. She got was completely that. blessed. But it doesn't always work out like exactly that. That's exactly what I was gonna say. For every kid who got stuck with a good family, there was a kid who got stuck with a family that wasn't so great. And that happens, I'm sure. But her story was that she got very lucky. Yeah. And they grew up, and there was no talk of of where you came where from. you came from because you're here now. And it was funny because a little girl that came here at nine that didn't speak a word of English, when your father and I met her, she didn't speak a word of Italian. Yeah. Well, she, she had assimilated so much and gone to school here, she didn't speak a word of Italian. Not so one. So she, I remember... Let's, let's, let's go back to the root of the story. So she had the medallion of Madonna della Neve, right? Yes, she carried so it with her. She looked up, because I remember her sister from Italy came here looking for her right before she had, could have found her nobody knew where she was her sister she, came her looking for her last name changed correct? yeah uh, her first and last name i can't remember what her name was when she was over there her first name i'm trying to remember but that was six seven years ago when we uh did the this. sister came here looking for her and she came to the society and asked us if we had any record right we your father her. and i went to monsignor casada to try to get some records yeah. from the church and, and there was were, nothing there was literally nothing nobody knew who she was, where she was. Right, there was nothing. And she was trying to find her sister. Because I remember her saying that she put her on the train to go to Rome. Mm -hmm. And Gia was saying when she was nine years old, she thought she was going on a day trip. She didn't realize she was never coming home. When she got to Rome and they were putting her on the plane to come to America, she realized she wasn't going to see her mother anymore. And her mother said she couldn't take her to the train station. She was too broken up about it. So, long story short, she came here and started a whole new life. And, you know, fast forward the years later, her brother had opened up a, a music store. He was very, very musical. He loved all instruments. He could play like six or seven different instruments. He opened up a music store. Second day that he was open, somebody came in to rob him. And as he turned to give them the money, he didn't even fight them. This is how she explained the story. He turned to get the money and they shot him in the back. And he was dead. And... It, she said, obviously, the sister was destroyed. Gia was destroyed by that. But she said even more so because she was always trying to get in touch with her mother in Italy for the two of them to be in touch. And now her brother's dead. And she felt like, she told him, she went into a deep depression because she felt like she failed the mother. The mother told her, always watch your brother. And here he is. He just got shot. She felt like she failed her mother. She said she went into a deep depression over that. It was very upsetting to her. Yeah, I, re I remember this whole situation, and then her basically she reached out to the society. Though she was, she told us she was online. Her son, she wasn't very computer savvy, and her son was into uh, computers and everything. He was in the navy, I think, and he was searching for history of Sansa because that's all she could remember is that she came from the town of Sansa, and she saw that Amarona della Neve was the patron saint of Sansa. She originally thought when she found us, she thought we were in Virginia because we're in Williamsburg. Williamsburg. She was like, oh, they must be in Virginia. So she had sent a letter here. And I remember I came here with your father one night. We walked in the back room. Joe San Pietro had gotten the mail that night. And he was looking at the letter and he was reading it. And he goes, he, he looked at your father and said, here, I don't know, maybe this is something for you. He goes, some woman thinks that we're in Virginia and she wants to get in touch with us. How she sent it to Brooklyn, I don't know, because it said something about that in the letter. And your father starts reading and goes, oh, my God, I can't believe it. This is the woman's sister. This is her sister. Yo, Wound swear, up getting in touch I with swear, her that night. Guys, you've heard me talk about my father in the past. 
He's a little dramatic, and this, like, <laughs> the fact he found this letter made his life, like. It did, yeah. It he was, was like a Maury special, this whole, like, <laughs> two weeks, right? Yeah, it was so something. What, what the society did then was the two sisters, one from Italy, one from New Jersey. Jersey. They basically threw a party for them, and they didn't even introduce the sisters. They, like, made them walk around the room, and then, like, when they finally, like, made eye contact, they knew they were each other's sister. They didn't know they were here. They didn't. They told them, we had told them that uh, your sister is on her way. She's not here yet. But they were both in the room together. And they, they found each other. They knew it. They could tell. Yeah, and everybody was emotional that day. Like, it was very emotional. I can tell you that. It was very emotional. So our society here found siblings that got exchange in that whole thing. I'd like to say we found, I think we were more just, you know, the, the meeting point where well, yeah. they both came to us, the one sister from Italy and the one sister from New Jersey, both contacted us, and we, just through knowing everybody, managed to put the pieces together and said, oh, you guys, these, these are the two sisters. It was amazing, you know, after 62 years, they haven't seen each other. And I'll tell you one thing, when we went to Jersey the first time to meet Gia, your father called the sister in Italy and they talked to each other, and you, the one in Italy is speaking Italian, the one over here is speaking in English. They couldn't understand each other. The two of them started crying. This was before FaceTime, too. Yeah, there was no, that was There's no FaceTime a few years back before like FaceTime. They just started crying, and they couldn't understand each other, but they knew who they were talking they to. They just heard the, they knew. the other's voice, yeah. It was, it was an emotional moment, I'll tell you that. Uh, it's, truly, it's truly amazing that our society was like that meeting point, the medium for them. And that's one of those little miracles like you're talking about, you know, when, I say, what'd you say, your uncle was choking? Yeah. And, hey, it's one of those little miracles where it just happened that's to work out I, right. Our faith is so powerful and, you know, I can't, people that all the time I try to explain to them, they're like, wait, you walk up a mountain, you do what, you do what? Yeah, they don't. People don't understand. We don't. We don't walk up a mountain in Brooklyn, obviously. But you know, we we tried to. We did a procession. Yeah, we tried to do a procession that's the same as what they do over there. Considering you know we're not going through the mountain, we started at the same time, we finish at the same time. That's the idea. We don't literally walk up a mountain in Brooklyn. <laughs> we walk up a mountain, keeping the society going. Yeah, there's a lot of mountains we have to short. overcome to get it going. That's keeping true. this thing going is walking up a mountain in itself. Absolutely. I, I honestly give you guys a lot of credit for doing that because, you know, a lot of the other societies in New York and stuff, they, this is a nonprofit organization. Yeah, we... Nobody's making money here. We throw fundraisers. There's three to four fundraisers a year. Yeah, no, nobody in here is taking home a paycheck. It's yeah. all done out of dedication. And it's, it's the same handful of people that do all the work. For anybody still listening Very true. to this point, um, find Our Lady of Snow on Facebook and look up our events like we always post them and if you have any questions dm us and like i said august 5th come doors come are open everybody's open welcome for everybody everybody's welcome thank you all for listening enjoy the rest of your summer and thank you Vin, nick kev for staying and telling us your version of our tradition but all together we all we're all very dedicated and very proud to be sanzes and here's a word from the sponsors. Shout out to Hardcore Italians. Make sure to go to www.hardcoreitalians.com. Use special code GUI. Again, special code GUI, short for Growing Up Italian, for all special discounts. Thank you.